Before we get going with today's podcast, I just want to jump on here for a second and personally invite you to a one-off brand new masterclass that I am hosting on Thursday the 16th of May. How to scale your online business to six figures and beyond. So if you are a course creator, a membership owner or a coach, then this is for you. I'm sharing with you my most effective strategies to become the go-to person in your industry and grow your online business. I will cover how to build your audience, how to craft an irresistible offer and how to master your launch strategy so that you will know the most effective way to grow your audience and build your email list fast, know how to craft an offer that your audience will love and create a launch that fits with you and enables you to sell with ease. And why should you come and listen to me? Well, I started doing this almost 10 years ago and the very first client I worked with back in 2016 I helped him launch his very first membership he had a done for you product and a one-to-one product and we created a membership in his first launch he got a hundred and thirty members bringing him in about sixty thousand in income every year now He has built a suite of online products that is bringing him in way over six figures every single year. This is going to be an awesome masterclass. You're going to get so much good stuff to take away with you to be able to use in your business. So to grab your free place, go to TeresaHeathWearing.com forward slash masterclass and I will see you there. Welcome to the Your Dream Business podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Heathwearing an international best-selling author, award-winning speaker, TEDx speaker, certified coach, and the host of this number one ranked podcast. I am so excited to guide you on the journey of creating a business and life that you not only love, but one that perfectly aligns with you and the season of life that you're in. In each episode, I'll share with you easy, actionable, and insightful strategies to grow your online business. Plus, we'll be diving into some mindset tools and strategies that keep you focused, motivated, and are going to stop you from getting in your own way. So if you're a course creator, membership owner, or coach, you are in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Your Dream Business podcast. I hope you are doing well. So this week I have another interview and I'm very excited and honoured to do this week's episode. It's always lovely when I get asked to interview someone when I've not reached out to them and their name is pretty big and I know it and I'm like, oh wow, they're asking to come on my show. And this week's guest is exactly that type of person. This week I'm interviewing the amazing Ryan Dice. Ryan Dice is a serial entrepreneur, author, investor, and according to the Shark Tank star, Damon John, his company practically owns the internet. Ryan is the founder and CEO of Scalable Company, digitalmarketer.com, that's probably where you know his name from, and the founding partner of Scalable Equity LLC, which is an equity accelerator that builds, acquires, and invests in B2B media services and software brands. Ryan is also the founder and host of Traffic and Conversion Summit, which I've attended and seen him speak at, the largest marketing conference, digital marketing conference in North America. He's also quite literally wrote the book on modern marketing, digital marketing for dummies, and which is now in its second edition. He is a sought after speaker. Ryan has shared the stage with top business leaders and celebrities like Sir Richard Branson, Gary Vaynerchuk, Sarah Blakely, Martha Stewart, Tim Ferriss, Damon John, 
and Dave Ramsey. I mean, that is a hell of a like bio. So I am super excited that this week I get to bring to the podcast the amazing Ryan Dice. I am so very delighted to welcome to the podcast Ryan Dice. Ryan, how are you doing? I am doing amazingly well. Thank you so much for having me. I am very pleased. I was just saying that in the intro that it's so lovely when I get, I get lots of requests to come on the podcast, which is awesome. And then when I see a name that I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, this person is definitely coming on. So it was great to speak to your team and get you on. It's been, it's been something that I'm really, really pleased about. So I'm excited about today's conversation. Yeah. Likewise. And it's an honor to be here. So thank you. So I want to start with where people certainly where I know you from. So I know you from digital marketer, traffic and conversion, but I want to go back a bit because I'm not sure that I've ever really looked into or found out how you got to do that. And then we can talk about what we're doing today. It's not a story I tell very often, actually. And not because it's like a, a bad story. It's just, I've been doing this now for 25 years, it just winds up becoming a long story. So I'm going to try to give you the short, short version, if that's okay. But let's go all the way back to 1999. I was a freshman at the uh, University of Texas in Austin. So my first year at university and, and the internet was brand new. And that year I met the spring semester. I was always entrepreneurial. I always wanted to make money. I didn't have any of it, but I was in college. You're supposed to be broke. It's fine. You know, It, it wasn't that big a deal, but kind of towards the end of my first semester, I met a girl and I, I knew in my heart of hearts, this is the woman that I'm going to marry. I like to say I didn't tell her that because I knew that that was creepy, but I just knew I really did. And, and so in that moment, I was like, I'm, 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 I'm broke and that's bad. I need to figure out a way to make some money. And, you know, at, at the University of Texas, people told stories about Michael Dell, who started Dell Computer out of his dorm room, which was literally his dorm room was across the street from my dorm room. And so I'm like, oh, I could be the next Michael Dell. I'm going to start a business. And I had no idea what I was going to do, but I figured I could teach myself web design. So my, actually my very first company was a web design company. I was terrible at web design, absolutely completely terrible. But I had um, a student version of Adobe Go Live and Microsoft front page. Um, People now have no idea what those even were, but that was how websites were built a hundred years ago. And I marketed myself as a web designer. And the only client I got and this is a bit funny, um, was a lactation consultant. Nice. Now I have four kids and my wife, you know, nursed breastfed all of our, all of our kids. So I have nothing but love for lactation consultants. I can tell you at 19 years old, building yeah. a website for a lactation consultant was a bit awkward, and, but built a website and it was, it, you know, it was going okay. And, but unfortunately her husband wound up losing her job. We had a bit of a recession. Husband uh, lost, lost his job. She had to go back to work. She had to, you know, shutter her lactation consulting business and she no longer had a need for a website and she no longer had the ability to pay me. But this woman was really, really sharp because she did something that I bet a lot of your other listeners have done. She wrote an ebook. She was smart. She realized as a lactation consultant, her clients, if she did her job, were eventually not going to need her. You know, they were going to figure it out on your own. And then eventually the kids would wean. And so she actually said, I don't want to just be about lactation consulting. I want to expand my niche into overall childhood nutrition. Really, really smart, right? Incredibly smart. So she wrote this ebook on how to make your own baby food. And because she couldn't pay me, she said, look, I've got this ebook on how to make your own baby food. I want you to have it. Maybe you can sell it and make some money since I can't afford to pay you. And I'm thinking at the time, 
the heck am I going to do with like yeah. a 38 page PDF on how to make your own baby food? But again, back then, 1999, the, the cop, there was no Amazon. Google was a science fair project. And I did some research and I found, you know what? There's actually a lot of people searching for how to make your own baby food. And there's nothing out there on it. So my very first business was selling an ebook on my very first online business was selling an ebook on how to make your own uh, baby food from a simple one page website. I charged $17 for it, which, and I remember I came up with the price because it was basically less than 50 cents per page. And I marketed that. And for me, for whatever reason, that seemed like a deal. But enough years later, everybody told me you can never sell an ebook online for $17. Nobody will ever buy it. Thankfully, by the time people were telling me I couldn't do it, I've been doing it for years and making, yeah. you know, good, good money off of it. But that began what started off as kind of my entrepreneurial journey. I, I had this one ebook. It sold a couple of copies a day, which was enough for me to, you know, make some extra money. I thought, what if I had 10 of these? And yeah. so I did. And, and my goal was just if I could make $10,000 to buy this girl I met a ring, save up some money, that'd be great. Fast forward a couple of years and got the ring, got the girl and a little side hustle turned into a real publishing company. And that, that truly is where it all began. That's amazing. I think there are some people, and I do not class myself as one of them, that entrepreneurship is just inbuilt in them. Like, like you said, straight off the bat, what can I do? How can I earn money? And I don't, do you think that's down to were your parents business owners? Do were you surrounded by business owners? Was that a thing that you saw and then thought I can replicate that, or do you just have that switch in your head? You, you know, funny, it wasn't. My mom was a school teacher. My dad was an electrician you know, came from a family of farmers, which I guess there's some entrepreneurial grit there maybe, but, but no, I didn't see entrepreneurs. And I, and I, I remember going to college. I remember going to university and, and finding people who were majoring in business. Mm -hmm. And I, and I asked them, I was like, what is that? Like, what, how does one major in business? Like business is a, is a thing. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't even know how you do that. I, so I don't know where it comes from. I do believe that entrepreneurial, like entrepreneurship is a calling. I think that there are some people who they are just willing to put in that extra work and that extra risk for that extra outcome. And I think a lot of this probably comes from a degree of like trauma and brokenness, you know, where it's like, you can't tell me what to do yeah. kind of thing. But, you know, I think it's there and, it, and it's funny. I've got four kids and I look at my own kids and I, I'm not trying to push my kids into to being entrepreneurs because um, I know how hard it is. And I just want them to find their calling. I want them to find kind of their place. And I don't want them to feel like, you know, pressure to quote unquote, follow in my footsteps. Mm -hmm. But it's obvious, like some of my kids are more entrepreneurial than others. And, and we'll see where that comes from. So no, I, I didn't really see an example. I'll tell you what I did have though. My parents got divorced when I was three years old. Okay. Not a big sob story, by the way. They were very mature about it. Got along great. I'd spend two weeks at my mom's house, two weeks at my dad's house. They agreed to live close. So, mm -hmm. you know. Same school, you know, same friend group, all that other yeah. stuff. But when when I stayed at my dad's house, he would drop me off at, at my mom's house at just the crack of dawn. He had to be at work at 6.30 mm. a.m., 6.30 in the morning. So he dropped me off very early at my mom's house so I could catch the bus. Well, what's the only thing on? I don't know if this is the case in the, you know, in the UK and around the world, but certainly in the States, certainly back in the, you know, 80s and 90s, the only thing on at the crack of dawn is infomercials. And so I grew up watching infomercials every single morning. So while I don't think I necessarily got a education or I got to witness entrepreneurialism, I definitely got to witness a good solid direct response marketing. Yeah. And 
I just think about this woman who had the, like, the foresight to go, here's an ebook. Like, I can speak to people now who still wouldn't know what that is. And I'm sure, you know, when you're not in your world, it's the same. Because I do think the, like, sometimes I don't even try and explain that I have a membership or I sell courses online or I speak online or I teach to people who are not in the same country as me. Like, even now they don't get it. So to have that thought and to give it you and go, see what you can do with it. And for you to take it in a subject and this where, you know, anybody listening to this, like, I love that when people have a passion about something and when it's their thing that they adore and then they sell it, I love that. But you took something that was so far from your comfort zone and still found a way to sell it and still found a way to make money with it, which blows my mind. That's just amazing. Yeah. I want, I want to speak to that because I think there's a point there that, that, that your listeners need to hear, but I just got to say one of my biggest regrets in life is that I forgot this woman's name, my client, my first client's name. Uh, I can't remember her name. Uh, I've actually tried to, to Google and research of like, cause I've, I always felt like if I, you know, if I remember I'd recognize it, even after, you know, our kids were born, I was like Googling lactation consultants in Austin, trying to see if I could find her to come full circle and to tell her, you know, she was my first business mentor, mm. right? She was truly the, probably the first real entrepreneur I ever saw. And, and what I saw was somebody who failed, right? Her business, she had to shut her business down. So by the normal world standard, she failed, yes. but she, she didn't look at it as like a personal failure. She just saw it as like, these are my circumstances right now. I'll come back and try it again. And, and there was just so much wisdom, so much insight, so much strength there. And I owe that woman um, more than I owe well, just about every mentor that I've probably paid tens and in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars to. So I just yeah. wanted to make sure that was said for posterity's sake. Maybe one day she'll hear this and remember hiring some, you know, stupid idiot kid at 19 years old to build a website and a connection will be made. So I'm just yeah, putting it out there. Maybe she'll find you. Maybe she'll go, oh my God, look at what happened to that guy. That is insane. Keep waiting for it. Like, so far, honestly. you know, <laughs> and again, that was what, almost 25 years ago. So, so far, not so good. Oh, well, do you um, know what? To the point though about taking a book that you know nothing about and selling it, mm -hmm. we have a term for that. That's called publishing. Mm. And, and I think this is really, really important for, you know, for your listeners, keep in mind, if you identify as an expert, you know, or as an author, that's wonderful, mm -hmm. right? That's good. I always chose to identify as a publisher because as a publisher, I could choose to publish my own stuff, but I could also choose to publish other people's stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times we limit ourselves and our ability to uh, scale our companies, to launch new companies, uh, because we put ourselves in the box of us. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Everything yeah. we do is limited to what we can do to what we know. And if you think about it, you go, no, no, no. Like I'm a publisher. I know some stuff, but so do other people, the publishers make more money than the authors in general. You know, yeah. the owners of sports clubs make more money than the players. So I think it's worth just being really thoughtful about how you identify in this business. Yeah. And, and that shows with what you then went on to create the fact that you, and I guess, unlike most other digital entrepreneurs, online businesses, we sell what we're good at and we sell what we're passionate about, but then that limits us to us as the business. Whereas you took that and, and sold that. And then like, look at the businesses you've grown, like digital marketer, traveling conversion summit, like these are huge businesses. So I guess in my head, I was going to ask the question, you know, did you envisage that you would grow things to that size? 
But part of me, as I say it, is like, well, you started off selling something that wasn't yours, kind of. So if you carried on doing it, then presumably that's why you grew and how you grew. I'll tell you, I never in a million years could have imagined building a business at the scale that we're at today. So last, you know, in 2023, combined our portfolio companies did in excess of $200 million in revenue, right? That's pretty big. Now, keep in mind, we've sold a lot of businesses. So in 2018 and 2019, I sold the vast majority of the companies that I owned. So picking back up on the, you know, on, on the story, I had all these different businesses you know, when I graduated, got married, my wife and I, we, I, I did, like I said, I got the ring, I got the girl, we dated throughout college, for, you know, got engaged our junior year, got married the weekend after we graduated from, from university and, you know, started our, started our life together. And I just kept doing what I was doing. And those businesses just kind of, they would change and they would morph and obviously models change and new technology happened, new ad platforms. But all I was doing was starting businesses based on there's a need out there in the marketplace that is currently unmet. I don't have to be the person to meet it. I just need to be the person who's willing to connect the experts with the people who need the information, right? That is kind of basic commerce. That, that, was, my, that was my business. And I, start, I, I decided that I was going to start an email newsletter to talk about what I was doing. And the only reason I did that is I was invited to speak at a marketing event. And I was the only person at this marketing event. I had no idea how marketing... I showed up at this event. I'd never been to one. But it turned out that the way marketing events worked, at least back then, is a speaker would come up, they would give 30 to 45 minutes of ish content that was really designed just to pitch their thing. Mm -hmm. And it was this just like rotating pitch fest, one person after another selling stuff. I didn't know this was the game. And I had nothing to sell because I was building my other businesses, right? Nobody yeah. wanted to buy a thing on how to roll your own sushi or make your own you know, baby food. So I just went up there and taught. And when I was done, I was done. It's like, thank Thanks. you. Good night. <laughs> And I got this massive rush of people saying, what's your product? What can I buy from you? And I didn't have anything. I said, do you have a book? Got a lot of them, but nothing on this. And, and the only thing I, I could think of in the moment, I said, I'm going to go buy the domain name Profit Diary, which I don't even own that. I don't even know where that is anymore. I was like, I'm going to buy this domain. I'm going to do an email newsletter. Go sign up for that. And you can be on my email list. And so I created an email newsletter. And once a week, I would send a newsletter about what I had done in my quote unquote real businesses. Mm -hmm. and then. If I had figured something out that was cool, I would create a little course and I would sell it to this list. But the only reason I did that was to generate revenue to fund, again, my quote unquote, real businesses. We did Traffic and Conversion Summit. A lot of people don't know this, but Traffic and Conversion Summit is three years older than Digital Marketer. So I had a business partner who was like, we should do an event. I was like, I don't want to do an event. They're crappy pitch fests. I don't yeah. want to do that. And, and he's like, well, let's do one that's all content. I was like, fine, I'm in. We can do an all content event. Yeah. Like, I don't know how we'll make money, but we'll figure it out. Spoiler alert, we didn't make money. We lost like a couple hundred grand the first year. That, that's a different story. But so we did this event and the first year had about 300. The next year had about 500. The year after that had 800. And it was year three of Traffic and Conversion Summit where I said, this might be a thing. I yeah. should maybe treat this like a real business. That was when I bought the domain name digitalmarketer.com, brought everything under that one banner. Mm -hmm. But that was 2010 when that decision was made before I treat it like a real business. These dates are like crazy. Like how, and obviously I came into, I've had my business 10 years now and I came in to the online space probably a couple of years after I started my business. And one of the first places I spoke was at Lead Pages at their conference and like did stuff over there. And, and like 
I remember coming in thinking this is new and still now thinking there are people I speak to in the UK that aren't getting it. But like you were in and you were doing this stuff like and you were always around. And for me, it felt like digital marketer was always around as well. But like you were doing this stuff so early. Like how do you how do you stay like current and interested and 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 have you seen things changed dramatically or is it just growing as it, the industry's go, growing it's changed dramatically and it hasn't right and okay. so to say that when i first got started online the way that you got traffic there again there were no paid channels available there was there was no google ads it didn't yeah. exist like google was not even the the search engine we were optimizing for I was trying to appear on Alta Vista and Dogpile and stuff that people haven't even heard about anymore. Yeah. And to no. appear on these search engines, all you had to do, the big growth hack back then, was you take the keyword you wanted to rank for and you'd put it at the bottom of the page and you'd, you'd just copy and paste it over and over and over again. Right. And the big, like, mind-blowing growth hack was you'd make it, the, the text the same color as the background so people couldn't see it, right? So to see it go from that to remembering when goto.com first came out, which I think was 2002, 2003. That was the first pay-per-click search engine. Mm -hmm. That ultimately became uh, Overture, which became the Yahoo search network. Uh, The original founding team was poached away by Google to build AdWords, which is now Google Ads. So I saw that. Then in 2007, to see Facebook ads launch, then mobile and all this. So I've seen tremendous change. There's without a doubt, the means and the channels of connecting with the audience has changed dramatically. The things that haven't changed, though, is that still the offer is everything. Mm-hmm. Copywriting and the need to be able to present. And, and I think that's why I've always been able to stay relevant is because I could go back to those infomercials that I watched when I was you know, eight, nine years old as a kid. Mm-hmm. That stuff still worked. Mm-hmm. And so I love Jeff Bezos has a quote. He says, everybody asks me what's going to change, what's going to change. And he said, it's a good question, but I think a far better question, a far more interesting question, a far more insightful question is what's not going to change, right? What if we focus on the things that won't change? And I've spent the bulk of my career doubling down on the things that won't change. Mm. And because of that, I don't feel the need to ever be the first to something. I was not the first on Facebook ads, you know, and I've always kind of sat back and I've said, let's let everybody else go first and I'll do my own testing. Mm. I'll do my own whatever. I'll, I'll try to figure it out. And if I get good results, then I'll go all in. But I think about people who've gone all in on platforms that didn't last because they were new. Mm-hmm. What a tremendous waste of time. What yeah. I've seen is there's there will always be another new platform. Mm. And, and so, yeah, do it. You need to stay current. Never, ever bury your head in the sand. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now I'm all in on AI because it's, yeah. it's obviously a thing. But AI isn't new, you know, by, by internet standards yes. anymore. Yeah. And yet only now are we really starting to go all in and integrate it. We've been dabbling for the last year. But I want to see what's going to stick and what won't. Yeah. So I think change is important. I think change creates awesome opportunities. I think you're better off focusing on the things that don't change and avoiding the trends right off the bat. And I think that's, I did a degree in marketing, spent my three, four years at university learning all about marketing, like literally 20 years ago to first 10 years before I started my own business. I worked, I was head of corporate marketing for Land Rover and did really cool marketing jobs. And like, what's so funny is, like you said, those basics don't change. Like when I was at university, we were barely having websites. Like 
you know, when I first started working in businesses, people would go, oh, do we need a website? Like, and then obviously that changed. Do we really need social media to then, do we really need like all these other things? So, but for me, like you said, understanding the customer, understanding, you know, how and why they buy, and then the format in which you use to reach them and to do that, that changes. I'm just really interested because it sounds like when you started and obviously you've been in this industry for a while, like you, you did things where they were new and people had just started doing them. So like, like you said, the, you know, SEO of like being able to cheat it, which obviously you definitely could not do for a very long time. But like, do you feel that it's harder now or easier now? So let's say someone wants to start today in the online world, digital marketing world, harder or easier? than it was when you started? I believe that it is easier to get, to take a product to market. Uh, what, it, what it required to, to build a website and to just set up a merchant account. I mean, the hoops I had to jump through to, yeah. to get a merchant account. My very first merchant account, I had to convince a bank that I had a retail location. I had a terminal. So sales would come through. I would write down the credit card numbers and hand enter them in for my first subscription wow. business. Wow. Right? Like, because we didn't have things like Stripe, for example. Even PayPal, I watched kind of come out of nowhere. And that was sort of just an eBay thing. Nobody took that seriously. So the fact that you can now spin up a, a website in no time, connect all the payments, all the automations yeah. uh, that, that you can do today, I think it's never been easier to get started. But breaking through the noise, I think it's never been harder yeah. to break through the noise. It's so noisy because, because it is so easy to get started. Mm-hmm. That's no longer where the advantage lies. And the advantage, you know, for me, I won because I was there and nobody else was. Yeah. I was, I won by default. The other team didn't show up and I was there. So I won, you know, I wasn't doing anything extraordinary other than showing up. And for a long time, that was enough. Today, I don't think that the game, winning the game is about trying to be everything, everywhere, all at once, Mm -hmm. right? I see people looking at, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk and Alex Hermosi. I mean, two two guys that I respect very much that are personal friends of mine, right? Hang out with, love them to death. And yet, I think it's the exact opposite strategy that most people should deploy for trying to get noticed. I don't believe, especially in a post-AI world, that quantity is going to be the game. I really do think it's going to shift back to quality. I think it's going to shift back to narrower niches, and instead of being everywhere all at once, the name of the game is to be missed when you're gone. So you have to show up enough to be noticed, mm-hmm. but you have to be good enough when you're there to be missed. I think that's going to separate a lot of folks, but it really is going to be less about the tactics, less about the brute force, and more about just getting good. Yeah. And that's really interesting because even in my, you know, 10 years of being in my business, you're, like you said, you know, to begin with, it was like, people don't know these things and you're trying to like get them out there and do those things. And and therefore you're being seen for that. And now, it, like you said, it's never been easier. You know, we can go to a system that you have to have no tech ability whatsoever, create everything you need to create. You know, there is a plethora of information that's free out there for you to go if you want to spend all that time and go and find it and look at it and search it, which again, you wouldn't have had. However, when you're out there, it is so noisy, like so, so, so noisy. So to try and stand out in some way. And I think I've never really niched or hadn't done for a very long time because I'd worked in every, like I've marketed things from sliding system things that, you know, you pull out when you have like big massive servers to process chicken. Like 
I literally have marketed so many different things that actually I liked not having a niche. I liked one minute my brain thinking of one thing and then having to go to another. And I'm slowly moving over to the, okay, no, I really have got to because it's just too big and too wide. And there's too many people to try and talk to and too many things. And actually honing down, I think, is something that that we're probably going to see a lot more of. And people are going to become big in their own little space. And that's great because, you know, you are going to be seen and people are going to buy from you. I love it. Yeah. I try to tell people, go two levels deeper. So whatever you think your market is, Mm -hmm. Then you're like, I can serve because we'll ask people, okay, who's your market? Who's your audience? Who, you know, who can you serve? And they'll be like, everybody. Okay, that's adorable. But now really, like, who who is it really? And then I'll get an answer. Uh, Now, invariably, that answer is still too broad. So Mm -hmm. what I'll say is, okay, great. Go two levels deeper from that. So if you're saying, let me give you an example. So digital marketer, company, business we still own, it doesn't just target marketers, right? It targets growth, like growth-minded entrepreneurial marketers. Mm -hmm. So entrepreneurial marketers, we would define as marketers who are either entrepreneurs themselves doing their own marketing, agencies and consultants, Mm -hmm. and or marketers working within entrepreneurial companies, right? So those are kind of the three avatars. You can see we're not just business, we're not just marketing. It's digital marketing, it's one level deeper. Mm -hmm. And then below that, we have entrepreneurial digital marketers. Mm -hmm. So marketing is a broad category. Digital marketing is just below entrepreneurial digital marketers is the third level. So what I tell people to do is, and this is hopefully helpful for all your listeners, um, brand a message around level two. So all of our messaging is talking to that entrepreneurial digital marketer, that in the trenches person who, you know, they're, they're out there trying to make the cash register ring. That's what the messaging is to. So message to level two, brand to level one, that one, that, that first level deeper. So not ground level, Right. But that level just below it, brand to that, because that gives you room to expand Mm -hmm. as your audience expands and as you introduce more products. But if we were just called marketer.com, well, yeah, like that's too broad. You know, digital marketer is still big, but our messaging is one level deeper. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to, that's kind of a way to hedge your bets, give yourself room to expand. Yeah. I love that. And I think, and interestingly enough, I am a marketer in the digital space and I'm an entrepreneur. So it's not a surprise yeah. that you guys are in my world and I've seen you and I know who you are and I know what digital marketer is. And I've done some of your courses, like, you know, it fit perfectly with who I am and what I do. So yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So one thing that you have been uber successful with, which I think most people think is the dream. And for lots of us, it is, is scaling your businesses to huge businesses and this is the idea or the lean in, I guess, to the next thing that you've got coming out, which is your new book. So can yeah, you and tell us about that. Sure. So the, the book is Get Scalable. And as the title suggests, it is there to help you get scalable. And the reason is, is because I think a lot of businesses, a lot of entrepreneurs try to scale before they're wait for it. Scalable. Right. Yeah. And and I've seen it and I've done it. I've been there back in 2016. I had three of our portfolio companies simultaneously on the Inc. 500 and 5,000 list of fastest growing companies in the United States. Three. So not one company, three years in a row, three different companies in our portfolio group, same year. Now, that sounds cool. And when I get introduced to speak at stages, they'll talk to me about being a three-time Inc. 500 you know, founder. Yeah. But let me tell you the, the dirty backstory you know, of this. Um, 
One of those businesses, the because it, it was a portfolio company, so I didn't run the day-to-day. We had a, a CEO, a co-founder that ran the day-to-day. That co-founder never really could get out of his own way. And so even though it scaled to seven figures very, very, very quickly, it's why it hit the list. Mid seven figures, like a good solid, like I think it was doing six or seven million when it when it made the list. CEO never really could get out of his own way, felt like he had to do absolutely everything. You know, no hire was quite good enough. He had to be involved in the product and the marketing. And the business completely stagnated. This was a business that had a massive moat, had exclusives on data contracts and things like that that none of the other competitors had, and just let it all go away because this person and us as well didn't know mm. what it meant to truly be a scalable business. That company kind of floundered along for a while and uh, two years ago sold at essentially a fire sale to its number one competitor. Why? And kind of, we all sort of made our money back, but not really. You know, so that was one of the three businesses that hit the list. Another business within six weeks of appearing on the list was near bankrupt. This business went from doing 300,000 the first year, 3 million the next year, all the way up to almost 30 million in year three. But it grew at all costs, including this pesky thing called profit. And so when kind of, you know, couldn't keep all the plates spinning, it became clear that like, okay, this isn't good. Lost about $2 million in one month in a business where we were just kind of churning through cash. And like I said, within a a few weeks of appearing on that list, we had to go in and lay off 180 people from that company that had just made the 500 list. One of the businesses went on to do almost $20 million in revenue, had a significant spinoff and exit, and is still going strong today. And what I realized, my takeaway from that is that number one, growth isn't everything. Yeah. Right. Growth is not everything. At some point, you got to figure out the game of scale. Uh, Another thing happened that year in 2016. I was not having fun. Yeah. I was not. I was not happy. I mean, if you would have looked, certainly earlier that year, if you would have looked at me and asked me how things were going, I would have said, great, because all of the businesses were crushing. I put three companies on the Inc. 500 list. Like I was, you know, from the outside looking in, I looked like I was you know, on top yeah. of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is, is I left most mornings before my wife and kids were awake. I got home after they, you know, were in bed. I missed more soccer games and dance recitals than I care to imagine. It was a miracle if I made it home for for dinner, for family dinner. And remember, this is the same woman who was my inspiration to start the business. Yeah. And the kids that followed were my inspiration to grow the business, right? Yeah. And yet now I was basically trading in this time with them and their their happiness so that I could go and build this business? For what? Yeah. You know, for what? And it wasn't until I came home really late one night, my wife said, she was like, look, you can keep doing what you're doing. I know who I married, but you can't pretend like you're doing it for us anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was like the wake-up call that I needed. And so this book is the book I wish I had going into 2016. All the hard-earned lessons from, yep, growth is good, but growth is not everything. What does it mean to actually scale a business? Because growth and scale are not the same thing. Yeah. The roadmap to growth is not the roadmap to scale. In fact, everything that kind of made you great during the startup and early growth phase will hold you back. And so it's laying out. This is the operating system that we install now in all the businesses. So you don't just have growth and scale, you have freedom. And that's my goal with the book. And I love your honesty. I honestly really, really appreciate that. Because I think in this beautiful world that we're in, where Instagram shows lovely pictures and we aspire to be like these amazing business owners, especially as entrepreneurs that we follow and we dream that we can have what they have. I think it's really important that 
there are still very honest conversations about one, this is hard. Two, you, there's always a way up. There's always a trade. And you were creating what was deemed uber successful over here, but at the cost of your family and at the cost of your relationship with your wife and being a good dad or or feeling like whether you're a good dad or not, like that was the cost of weighing it up. And then also I love the honesty around the growth and the profit because again, you know, we're in a digital marketing world where, you know, everyone talks about six-figure launches and seven-figure launches and best year evers. And it's like, yeah, that's amazing. And that's awesome. And don't get me wrong. If I could have a seven-figure, I'd take a six-figure launch right now, to be honest. Like if I could get any launch, six or seven figures, I'll go with it. Like I would have it in a heartbeat. But I think sometimes we're expecting as business owners, we're looking at these other people thinking they've got it all sussed, it's all done, and not understanding what's going into it, either the hard work or actually, yes, we can turn this amount of money, but that doesn't always equate to now you're living on a beach, working from your laptop, watching the money roll in. Like that isn't always the thing. So so I really appreciate you sharing about those businesses and the fact of on paper, wow, Ryan, you are amazing. But actually in reality, it felt very different. So just talk to me a little bit about the idea of the scalability. Like what is it that what didn't those businesses have? And and what do you define as the difference between growth and scale? So the businesses that stall out tend to stall out because they're operating on what we refer to as a U operating system, mm-hmm. meaning the founder, the CEO, they are the operating system and the operating system is them. And so we talked about earlier how this, this can impact you from a, from a product uh, or a services perspective. If you believe you're a business and, and your ability to serve your customers and your clients or your patients is limited to just you and your abilities. That is a constraint. That is going to constrain growth. It's also going to prevent you from having any real true freedom. Mm. And, and so we see this show up there, first and foremost, and this is especially true again with freelancers, with consultants. They're the ones that first get stuck. So I love freelancing. I think freelancing is is great, but there's not freedom there. The, the more money you make, the less time you have. It goes back to that trade-off. And so at some point, you don't want to be the product, right? You don't want to be the racehorse. And if you can't give something to a client, then guess what? You're the product. Yeah. You just are. And so that's where it shows up first, but it also shows up in sales and in marketing. Because for many of us, we're like, why? I'm an entrepreneur first and foremost. Why did I become a marketer? Because I was the only one here. I didn't have a marketing team. It was me in a dorm room. So I had to learn marketing. Now, fortunately, I, I was pretty good at it, but there's other been there's been other businesses we've launched where I also needed to do sales. Now I hate sales. Mm. I'm terrified to talk to people. I hate rejection. I want people to like me, right? I'm not particularly good at it, but I did it because wait for it, I was the only one. That is the entrepreneurial experience. And in the beginning, it's great. In the beginning, the one of the worst things you can do to a business is to oversystemize it. Yeah. One of the worst things you can do to a business in the startup stage is say is to say, oh, but that won't scale. I don't care. From zero to seven figures, do all the unscalable stuff. Mm. Seriously, at least a half a million dollars in revenue. Okay. Do the unscalable, right? But if you desire to, to build you know, a business that can scale beyond you, at some point, once you have some proof there, now we got to talk about scaling. We got to talk about pivoting from a U operating system to what we refer to as a scalable operating system. Mm-hmm. And what this simply means is documenting how does this company create value? 
And this is going to come, all companies create value in two ways. We get customers, we serve customers. Mm-hmm. Like that's it, right? That's what we do. We make stuff, we sell stuff, right? We fulfill the stuff we made. Mm-hmm. This is what all businesses make. So our system, our process starts from there. Our operating system does not start with goal setting. I think goal setting is great. Yeah. But every business book I ever read, chapter one was like setting goals. Yeah. Like, what is your 10-year plan? Well, like, screw all of that. I don't know. Like, what I know is I'm burnt out and I'm freaking frustrated. Like, mm-hmm. give me some relief. So step one is not goal setting. Step one is not to hire a bunch of people. I've heard, I, everybody's like, oh, every problem is a people problem. Well, no, sometimes it's a systems problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you keep hiring people for the same role and they're all failing, it's mm. probably not on them. Yeah. Right? Probably not. So, yeah. you know, we, we like to say good people don't fix broken systems. Broken systems break good people. So you have to start with systems first. You've got to start by visualizing how do clients happen? Mm. How does it happen? How do they, where do they come from? Do, do we run ads? Great. Then where do they go? Oh, they go to this landing page? Amazing. Then what happens? And we work with our clients and talk about this in the book, work with our portfolio companies to visualize the flow mm-hmm. of how customers or how clients happen. We then do the same thing for the fulfillment process. Great, they bought. Now what? Once you visualize the entirety of the customer journey, you can answer the question of, this is how we create value. Not -hmm. just explain it, you can show it to people. Now it exists separate from you. It's not this idea in your head of what to do. It's separated from you. That's the foundation. Then we can begin to ask questions like, okay, well, how do we do these different steps? You know, now that's where we create the checklists and the playbooks and the SOPs. Yeah. Okay. Who does these different steps? Well, now we're thinking about hiring. What are the things that I'm doing that I don't want to do anymore? Yeah. Now that I have a playbook, you could say, how do we know this is working? That's where scorecards come into play, right? Yeah. When should we talk about this stuff? That's what media's coming to play. And then the last piece of the puzzle is the goal setting. But mm-hmm. everything begins with a visualization of value creation. That's Before that, that you, nothing else matters. It's so interesting because I think one of the things that we're taught as entrepreneurs is, you know, you bring in a VA. Like as soon as you can, you bring in a VA, you have someone help you with things and I get it. And I'm, I, you know, I'm pretty for that, but the amount of people I've spoken to are like, well, I don't know what they would do. So it's almost mm-hmm. like, surely like that's where we need to think about those things. So you mentioned a figure there. You sort of said, you know, half a million, a million, that's when you're looking at scaling. Is this something they should be, you know, should they be buying the book and reading about it before that point it, with the idea of, that point might come? Or is it something that they wait and then they do it? If you have plans to scale a business to seven figures and beyond, I would read the book sooner rather than later so you have the context of where you're going. That yeah. sounds like a, a selfish... Uh, I mean, obviously I would say that because I want people to buy my book, but uh, but I, it, it also has the added benefit of being true. Uh, yeah. It's helpful to know what's coming around the corner before you get there. Mm-hmm. Now, if your goal is to remain a solo freelancer and you want to have a handful of clients in a boutique business uh, and you just want to serve them uh, and you never, ever, ever want to scale and have a team, you never want to go beyond that. And you're very cool having a quarter million, mm-hmm. you know, $300,000, $500,000 as a solo. I want to tell you, that's awesome. Yeah. And I applaud you and don't let anybody, you know, chastise you or talk, talk down or, or say, ooh, well, that's just a lifestyle business. Screw all of that. I don't yeah. get into any of that, that noise. I've never made more money than it was just me running my little business, doing about a million to two million a year. Because yeah. I kept just about all of it. And when I made the decision to scale, 
because I wanted to build something that was ultimately exitable that could live beyond me. That is when I turned around. It's like, it seems like the more money the company makes, the less money I make. Yeah. yeah, And that happens, by the way, between about 2 million and 8 million, 7 million revenue, 6 million, depending on what systems you have in place. Mm -hmm. That's the swamp of scale. That time period sucks. (laughs) And the way that you get through it is by upgrading your operating system. Mm -hmm. And so I do believe that as a solo, you can get a business to about a million. I've known people who've got it to about 2 million a year without deploying some of the things in this book. A lot of people are, they're intelligent, they're smart. They'll do a lot of the stuff on their own. If you want to scale though, and have a life at a million to two million, if you want to build a seven figure business, yeah, I'd probably read it sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think, final question, because I'm really conscious of time. Do you think anybody can scale and any business can scale? I have not come across a person yet who had scaled really big businesses. And I've been privileged to hang out and spend real quality time with some of the best known, most famous entrepreneurs in the world down to folks who nobody's heard of, but they still have built massive eight and nine figure businesses. And every single time I meet one of these entrepreneurs, names that you would recognize, I am thoroughly, completely unimpressed. Hmm. And I say that so that you can be confident and know that there is nothing these people have that you don't have. Really? I mean, it's not, you, I've not met one who was like, well, obviously they're That's crushing it. High. I don't think anybody who meets me thinks that, well, obviously that guy. No, like for a lot of us, it's that we kept showing up when other people would have quit. It's that we've been doing it a little bit longer. I think, I think people who expect to win and hit a million dollar business in their first year, people who are, uh, I think the kind of people who can't are people who are greedy and impatient. Yeah. I think if you're greedy and patient, no, I don't believe you can build a scalable business. But I believe if you're patient, if you've got grit, if you genuinely and sincerely care to know what your customers and clients want, which means you're curious mm-hmm. and that shows, there is no doubt scale is really just a matter of of time because the skills are out there and they're not, you know, not, none of us are doing like my my oldest is taking high level calculus stuff right now. I believe there are people who can't do what he does. Yeah. Myself included for what it's yeah, worth. Yeah. What we're doing here, I truly believe that anybody can, but I think it's hard. I think it's yes. really freaking hard. And it's why most people don't. And you should be glad that it's hard because if it were easy, everybody would have and it wouldn't be, it would by definition be valueless mm-hmm. because everybody would. Yeah. So can, they won't. Hopefully your listeners do. I love it. Ryan, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. I liked you anyway, but I am like, you're amazing. I honestly, I'm sat here a little bit in awe of you and everything you said. So thank you so very much. I really appreciate you being a guest on the podcast. It has really been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for giving me a platform to be that old man telling old, old war stories. I felt like kind of the old guy yelling at clouds from time to time, but, but it was really fun and therapeutic. So thank you for that. Anytime. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to Your Dream Business Podcast. And if you loved this episode, then please feel free to go and share it on your social media or head over to iTunes and give me a review. I would be so very grateful.